Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Smashbox TV's podcast 404. 404 file not found, like a like a web page error. I know, and in ten more, we'll be in the four one four. Our, our that, that's official the, area code here. That's the special one. I'm not waiting for nine two zero or seven one five. Seven one five up in northern Wisconsin. Two six two. We passed a while ago. Yeah. So, uh, well, was it Luda? Is that who I'm thinking of? Yeah, he knows what the four one four four one four. I think is how he said it more so. He's got he's got podcasts in different area codes. We'll go with that. Mm. Welcome everyone. Terry Miller, the disc golf guy, joined alongside Johnny V here for well another night of podcast. Uh, yeah. Another <laughs> night. We are post I mean obviously the big conversation taking place this last week in terms of tournament play, Skyline Classic. We are post the Skyline Classic, so that's what we'll be recapping today. I don't know if there was anything else. Uh, no. Uh, of course, the OTB on the Elite Series took place. We'll recap, talk a little bit about that. And and somewhere, I believe, I'll read you some information and some details and updates. Last weekend, or last week, we had Sarah Nicholson on the show talking about the women's team event that she put together. And I believe I have a few details and, and results and updates from there. Heck, I'm just going to give that to you right away because she did send it to me. So thank you, Sarah. She said that Ace Run got some sweet freaking coverage, I think was the exact quote there. We'll go with that. So look for that on Ace Run Productions. Good friends of the show for the Throw Pink Women's Team Championship driven by Innova. And Johnny, you'd never guess the name. The Tennessee Tornadoes took it down. The Tennessee Tornadoes. Yes. And that included Donna Barr. I almost called her Bear. Donna Barr, Amy Cantor, Cher Kitchings, and Amber Meese. So congratulations. Of course, it looked and sounded like a really good time. I can only assume that it was <laughs> showing 30 teams listed here. Uh, and the information can be found. In fact, I'm going to try and link it for you guys. 30 teams listed for the Throw Pink Women's Team Championship 
driven by Innova. So congratulations to all the competitors. I was just telling Johnny just before we got started, it sounded like a really fun event when Sarah talked about it last week, and it seems like it would be uh, a great thing to pick up in your local area or region or whatever and see if you could run with something of that nature. We've, of course, gained so many women's events and women's only tournaments in the last few years, but this one had such a unique perspective on it, so it's pretty cool to see. A couple of people are noting um, the, the difference in light quality, <laughs> and so for those of you, we'll give you a quick behind-the-scenes tour. Um, we're probably a little washed out right now. I've got these key lights down. Maybe it was, maybe a little... They're down pretty far, but the webcam. We we moved from a, a high-quality 8- to 10-year-old JVC that was smashed because it had been dropped by my wife and myself at one point when we were doing a filming a wedding and we went to, I went to Best Buy today and I, 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 I bought like a, just a 4k quality camera. And actually I think the quality of the picture looks okay. It's just that we're a little bit blown out as far as the white balance goes. So. Yeah. Johnny working on a little of those. I'll, I'll mess around with it. I'll try to dial it in. A we little need bit. all the help we can get. I don't know if you, need I don't this. need to be as we as, need to hire another crew to come in and fix. As Daniel we says, look. we don't need to be any whiter than we are. Yes. We're about <laughs> as, uh, yes, as vanilla as they get. So, uh, Hopefully, we're going to see some improved picture quality. It says, you're too clear. I like a little blurry. Well, <laughs> I wonder how blurry you guys were at the event this weekend. Anyway, we're not going to go there, Sarah. Uh, so that was for uh, what we just said with Sarah in that event. I want to touch on, I'm going to bring up, in fact, a few uh, details from it. I'd like to touch a little bit on this weekend. I had the pleasure, along with an entire team and slew of other people to host the 2022 Skyline Classic presented by Discraft. And uh, some people did make note, I was told later, that they're like, wait, you just put this event on the schedule a few weeks ago. How in the world did you have custom stamp discs that were available? And that is solely due to our friends over at Discraft. So thank you so much. Uh, to Bob and the rest of the crew at Discraft. So I want to quickly recap a few details for you. If you're going to wait for the final round interview, or I'm sorry, the final round coverage to come out, then close your ears just for 10 <laughs> seconds. I don't know. I, I'm going to try and get it up much quicker this year. But taking it down is the brother of fellow media personality of Brian Earhart. Instead, it was his brother, Thomas Earhart, ah. took it down. Uh, very impressive play this weekend by Thomas. It was much closer during the first round than uh, he decided to take care of business and take it away during the second round. Averaged somewhere around 10-20, 10-22 golf, something in that neighborhood. Uh, and then there was a huge tie for second, so I'll read them all off. Sean Butler, Zach Finwall. William Rockcastle and Scotty Too Hottie Bertard all tying for second five strokes behind what the effort was from Thomas Earhart. So congratulations. Thank you guys so much for coming out and playing. Uh, Serena Giles was one of only two women that competed in FPO. So she took it down. And then Zach Kobus took down Masters with Michael Holton uh, destroying everyone in advanced. So um, pretty impressive. I'll read some more champions from Sunday. Maddie Haley, Jason Barnier, and John Dorn all taking it down on Sunday's play. 
And if I can find it quickly, I'd like to give you guys, uh, I'll give you guys Saturday's action. What can I say? I'm a little biased here. Uh, let me see if I can find it, though. Sorry, one sec. Uh, Jacob Klug took down Intermediate. Melanie Sanfilippo went uncontested in Intermediate Women. Angel Ortiz took down Rec. Katie mm, Missyian won in Rec Women. Max Jacobs and Novice and Caitlin Borgwart took down Novice Women. So thank you to everyone that came out. And I have to quickly say... Uh, Nick and Juliana Schick, Ryan Pilcher, Tom, Big Daddy Jenkins, uh, Tom McManus, uh, the Pastry Dye Boys, all of those people, Sean Butler, Ryan Pilcher, I think I just said, Dustin Skorpinski, all of those guys are really who made the event happen. So thank you in conjunction with all the sponsors and Discraft. So lots of fun. Sounds like a lot of fun. Saturday's weather. Um intermittent rain throughout the day not exactly lovely and beautiful and pleasant everybody fought through it very well which is funny sunday was gorgeous here we didn't have any rain up here i know and i was only about 45 minutes Uh, that's about an hour from where we are to where the tournament took place an hour south closer to the illinois border and when it was all said and done uh we had rain on saturday but not sunday so thank you to everyone that was part of it this weekend uh really appreciate it all right so apparently there's some other there was a larger scale tournament than the Skyline Classic this weekend, Johnny. And I think excuse me, you had front row seat to it, kinda, sorta. Well, I mean front row seat. I didn't have to pay for a spectator ticket, but I get to see all the cameras. Okay. Okay. So that that's nice. Yeah, correct. Uh the OTB open. We saw a new course on the Disc Golf Pro Tour at a familiar park. We saw Stockton play last year, but uh, the course was redesigned. Uh, only, I think, maybe three or four existing holes from last year, maybe five. I don't know. I don't pay attention to that stuff. But ultimately, this came down to it was on a ball golf course, but it wasn't played like a ball golf course. It, it had a lot of low ceiling shots. Uh, Leonard Muse. Mm-hmm redesigned it he designed it last year as well uh it was a bombers course uh, there's no there's no way around it um you were advantaged by being able to throw far mm. and more so i think than some of the other courses on tour uh maybe short of lvc but ultimately it played all right i think if we're talking about the course for a few minutes i, I think that the course lacked a little personality mm. and that could just be that it's the first year it was different than last year. Um, so this is a lot of times we're seeing the first things. It just felt like y- you watch these players throw and then you knew they were just going to have to throw hard again. I, I'm going to reserve complete judgment until we see this course again and again, maybe uh, maybe it'll grow on me a little bit. There were there are some great holes out there. Uh, I think it's what nine, ten, eleven is really good. I, I like hole. I like hole one, the starting hole. Hole eighteen is a pretty solid hole. Seventeen's good. It's just there's a there's a few spots in there that the holes just meld together. You can't you you could drop somebody there a lot like LVC, I think, and then mm. you just wouldn't know where on the course you were. Which you know that's whatever. But it sounded like the players enjoyed it. It played well for them, and we got a uh, for the FPO we got. A returning champion in Paige Pierce, 
Paige comes out. She won last year's OTB Open. Uh, she shoots 11 under par for the event. Um, final round went in with a nine-stroke lead. And throughout 16 holes, gave it away. <laughs> gave that lead away. Natalie Ryan came out guns a-blazing. She had three birdies to start out with, then took a par and another birdie. And according to her post-round interview, she said that that was the point after the, the first three birdies that she felt she had a chance to catch Paige, which says a lot considering you're going up against probably the greatest woman of all time. And Natalie got on a roll, 11 through 15, five in a row to catch Paige. Um, they both parred 16. Paige basically didn't get a birdie from after hole four. And she took two bogeys. And then, unfortunately, Natalie came up on hole 17. And that that is 17 and 18 are two of the defining holes on this course. So I have to ask, again, I, I come from a very you, weird position in that I had no idea what happened throughout the weekend, largely because I was running a tournament with 231 people of our own. And so I didn't get a chance to consume. I have a real hard time getting into as much as I make post-production <laughs> video. Uh, I sometimes have a hard time getting into it, especially when I'm caught up. Of course. But my question would be, and I know you're also a different perspective because you're pressing buttons and you're not 100% in yes. tune with the actual play and, and the intricate details. But what in the world is the huge difference between... Uh, a course record setting 10 under by page on Saturday mm -hmm. round two versus an even par on Sunday. Is there anything off the top of your head that, she, that seemed obvious or apparent to you? She didn't hit a circle to putt. Okay. And granted, she barely hit one all weekend. I think uh, she just wasn't getting, as they say, she wasn't getting to the green. She couldn't quite, get them close. She was either putting herself in like a slightly awkward position to get there, or she, uh, she just wasn't quite on her game. And I don't know if that is a result of going into that whole, going into that round with a nine stroke lead that maybe she took her foot off the gas, even though the day before she said she <laughs> somehow words come back to bite you. She said, she's going to play that round, like the final round at worlds. And she did. <laughs> <laughs> unfortunately, but it ended a little bit differently. So Paige said she was going to come out and still kind of put that uh, accelerator on, but she just couldn't. Whether she was truly trying or not, I don't know, but she just could not get the birdies. That, that's And it makes sense on a course like this that can be very difficult. These are long birdies, and there's a reason why when you look at the top players, three of the four of them are are probably some of our furthest throwing women in Paige, Natalie and Ella, you know, Juliana just kind of, she had a great final round and played very conservative and smart. Didn't, didn't take a lot of, uh, OB strokes, none in the final round. Hmm. And that is how she kind of kept herself up there. You know, she, right. Is that right? No, that can't be right. I'm, I'm looking at, she didn't make any C1X oh, putts because yeah. they were all because they were all tappings in, inside. Yeah, tapping, I was yeah. like, I was trying to find out what her putting percentage was. It says zero percent C1X, <laughs> and I was like, that can't be. But it, it honestly, it can because if she she missed 
three of them inside the circle that then became tap-ins and the other yeah. ones were all tap-ins for birdie. So ultimately she really had, you know, and she only hit one outside of the circle of the one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine that she had the opportunity. And Julianne is not known as a phenomenal putter these days. You know, she, she's had her issues and she's, I think she's kind of working through them still and getting better, but you know, Juliana just did it by getting, by getting close. She, she pinned. She, I think she got whole one all three days, which is a feat in and of itself. Mm. Cause that is a, um, it, it's, it's a dog leg, right? But it's only probably like, if you're looking at, you know, I don't know. It's, it's not a straight dog leg. It's probably at like a 45 degree angle and it's difficult because you have to get under some trees and around them, but she played it to perfection. Hmm. So ultimately Paige Pierce does come out with the victory because Natalie Ryan, as we said on hole 17, just it, it bitter as it can. There's water on that there. She got a little bit more aggressive than she needed to. Honestly, Natalie probably should have just played, played it a little safer on her second throw. And she went out of bounds. She she went for the green. And that could be lack of experience. That could be confidence as she had just, you know, rattled off five straight birdies. You feel like the world's going your way. Why not? Yeah. You know, I mean, just keep riding that wave. I mean, she clearly was making a charge and then some. Of course. So I don't know what the decision making was. I thought that uh, it was a. I thought that particular decision in hindsight, of course, poor decision. She hits that island and puts the pressure on Paige. That looks like a phenomenal decision. Yeah. Uh, but as we know, that's not how the story played out. Uh, and then on hole 18, she, you know, she went uh, OB on her. She went OB twice on 18. I believe once was on her drive or I don't remember if it was her second shot. And then when she approached the green as well. But at that point, Paige basically had it locked up. So it that was more trying to push than anything else. Uh not that Paige could not have gone OB on 18 as well and maybe given one or two back, but it just didn't it didn't feel like the momentum was in Natalie's favor at that point. Wow. So it, I, and I feel like this because of the charge that Natalie had, um, you know, the conversation around Paige and not being fully feeling like she was fully prepared, the length of the course. There's so many different storylines that came out of this weekend. Uh, ranging from maybe even all, everything I just said, and then you throw in there uh, some meme creation uh, done on the on the MPO side. We'll get to that. Uh, people talking about uh, what they feel is is or isn't a a an appropriate uh, looking or traveling or accepted trophy. I mean, there's just a lot of conversations. One of them that I felt at wildly has then gone under uh, talked about is is JK's finish, Juliana Corver, third place, beating so many of the top players in the world. She's clearly uh, put herself there with a, you know, she's in a rating area where you see her being competitive in that 948, 950 range, you know, which is right there with so many of the other players, but we haven't seen her with these top podium finishes. And I think back to a year ago, it was at this event, exactly a year ago at the OTB open, which felt like her really big return and her, her coming out party of like, Hey, I'm getting back on the tour. I remember walking along with that card specifically, and I really enjoyed it. And now again, maybe just because there are so many storylines, it feels like that has, has been somewhat of a quiet uh, 
you know, uh, line as well. But anyway, I, I think it's phenomenal. Hats off to her uh, solid performance. So, and you could say that, of, of course, of all of our competitors. But this feels like a... The, is this this has definitely got to be the best performance that we've seen from JK, and I, I'll see if I can back that up with, fairly, with any actual stats. Fairly certain, and it was but really it funny because like today the Disc Golf uh, Pro Tour put out a, inst- I think it was Instagram and Twitter and Facebook post, more or less talking about the MP40 women who finished well, Jen Allen, Owen Scoggins, and Juliana Corver. And, sure. Ju- and Juliana's like, yeah, and one of them qualifies for MP50, which is her, so... Because I, I because be, she qualifies for MP fifty, mm-hmm. so so you guys can do that math. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah uh, and so ultimately, you know, JK at you know <laughs> this is sounds so offensive at her age, uh, still competing with everybody else. You know, it, she's the <laughs> is she the Johnny McRae of the FPO field? I mean, and, and let let me kind of I don't want to say eat my words. Let me back up a little. She has performed and won a number of events this year. But on the biggest stage, you know, and she's been absent from it uh, due to her significant other and all those other reasons. So I'm not second guessing any of that. I mean, she racked up literally four consecutive wins in four consecutive Mm -hmm. tournaments where she played in B tiers uh, in the California area or in the California region. However, at the largest stage that we've seen her on in the last year or two, this is her best performance in open on this big of a stage that's that's what i'm trying to spit out and it's very impressive i mean last year she won the memorial in pro masters women's uh she won the us wdgc in pro masters women's those are all phenomenal accomplishments but this is the best that we've seen her finish at an elite series and sean mercy says that this was jk's biggest payout ever and it's not even close yeah and and it's third place Mm -hmm. that's insane yeah from the five-time world champion. So it says something about where where, where she's come from are. and then where we're going, uh, most certainly. So, yes. Real quick, we'll talk about some of the other women in the field. Uh, we already talked about Paige, Natalie, and then Juliana. Fourth place was Ella Hansen. Uh, tied with fourth was Alexis Mondahano, who we got to see play with her sister, Valerie Mondahano. And unfortunately, Valerie did not. Uh, finish out the tournament very well uh, alexis for a long time we were in the control room we were a little upset at hole nine that she birdied because she had the clean scorecard going she'd gone eight for eight for On pars <laughs> and then she wrecked it with her birdie well at least it's the good but it's wrecking. the good wrecking correct uh sixth place missy gannon continues to shoot well seventh place in one of those mp40s own scoggins continues yeah, or FP40, sorry. Uh, yes, another FP40. Own Scoggin continues to shoot well. Jen Allen as well, tied for seventh. In ninth place, Katrina Allen uh, tied with Holland Handley. So those are your top 10 FPO competitors at the OTB Open. Uh, and all around a, a, a very solid event. A lot of fun, good, good competition, you know, new course, all that other fun stuff. Yeah, and... Over on the MPO side, obviously quite the story in having Simon Lazat come out and uh, take care of business the way he did. And I'm going to bust him out a little. I don't. I, it just sounds like he's out on the West. Uh, we know he's out in the. Um, he's in Colorado, I believe, this weekend. Either Colorado or well, Lake Tahoe, I think, oh, for Lake a couple Tahoe. days working on oh, some stuff. Sure. I believe with Jomez, but um, 
it was even just a few days ago. He hadn't booked his ticket when I was visiting him <laughs> last week. He hadn't yet booked his ticket. And now, granted, him and I had then a travel conversation about typically, yes, tickets go up as it gets closer. But sometimes uh, with the, the craziness of travel these days, sometimes a ticket will go down at the last minute. But he had been watching them for a long time and he hadn't yet booked his ticket. Mm. And there was there was the slightest sliver of thought in my head where I was like, is is he going to maybe just decide not to go? Like, just for whatever reason, house, family, kid, blah, blah, blah. Like, may, maybe he's just going to ultimately. Clearly, be. that was not on his agenda, and he ultimately got his ticket booked. I feel like he had relatively short warm-up time in terms of practice, but it didn't appear to matter. No, it didn't. Uh, he, as we said, this is a... And more so for the men, this is a bomber's course. You can tell by your top finishers. Simon Lazat, while he might, he used to be known as like the far throwing guy, there are a lot of guys now that are keeping up with him. And Simon, I think, has dialed it back just a little bit, but he can still put those, put those discs very far away from him. And Simon had a few really awesome putts. Uh, I can think of three of them off the top of my head that were, that were some of those uh, kind of, Maybe give it a chance to go in because you don't want to go OB past the basket. And all three of them went in for him. <laughs> so, you know, when things are going your way, they're going your way. And he had like a, a hundred and some odd foot throw in uh, for Eagle. On day one, right? On, on day one that, you know, as he said, it was a bad throw that got the basket got in the way because he was trying to lay it up. He knew if he missed it, he said he'd be outside the circle. So anyway, so Simon Lazat takes first place. 20 under par for the event, uh, shooting an eight under that final round as well. Shooting an eight under that final round, Calvin Heimberg, another uh, this this course of all courses, I think, suits Calvin very well because there are there are a lot of low, hard distance throws, which I believe is like his specialty. He's the kind of guy he's not. He's not the one that's out there like Simon. When Simon throws a bomb, it's usually a big flex shot or at least that's what we've seen in the past. Kelvin has a very direct, hard throw straight where he's aiming. And this course really set up well for her, for him. Uh, third place, a guy that last year made a name for himself out here, Aaron Gossage. Uh, nephew, I think, or great nephew of Goose Gossage. A former MLB pitcher. And you could, you know, that clearly runs in the family with the way you can see <laughs> him throw those forehands. Because mm -hmm. Gossage can crush them. Um, he shot an eight under as well. Anthony Barella comes out with a four under par in fourth place on that final round, uh, 15 under for the event. And we saw Anthony, unfortunately, roll his ankle. I believe it was on the third hole on a mm. jump putt. And Jen Allen was there uh, throughout the round, kind of taking care of it. They they put some uh, kinesiology tape on it, some KT tape or whatever. Uh, they were spraying it with... I think it was nitrogen to keep the swelling down. Oh, and, I would have just used WD-40. Uh, well, that's why you're not Jen Allen. <laughs> what does she know? Uh, I know she's only a physical therapist. Uh, whatever. So unfortunately, he you could tell that it was inhibiting him. He was throwing forehands because he couldn't put a lot of weight on one of his on one of his ankles. Mm. He was throwing forehands in places where you 
it's not the ideal shot. Everyone else is throwing backhands. He would walk up and throw a forehand. Uh, I I don't think, based on the way Simon was playing, I don't think Anthony would have caught him, but it would have definitely been a closer battle, I think, had Anthony been able to perform at peak performance. You could see his ankle afterwards uh, was, as someone said, about the size of a grapefruit. So hopefully he's okay, and it's like a minor sprain, but uh, shout out to Anthony for kind of willing himself through that speaking of willing yourself through something ricky waisaki taking fifth place what an amazing amazing performance by ricky his knee did not look good he was limping the entire event but he was on coverage first round you could see him really uh it was tough for him to walk i thought after the third hole i'm like dude wrap it up get out just don't hurt yourself you don't want to you know, with an injury like that where you can't put a lot of weight on 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 your knee, you don't want to mess up another ankle or knee because you, you your weight shift is wrong and you're trying to compensate. So all I kept thinking is like, maybe this is just go get it taken care of. But Ricky, no, Ricky doesn't think that way. Ricky thinks eh, I'm, I'm playing pretty well, so I'm going to take fifth. <laughs> yeah, which Amazing. is incredible. Yeah, as you were saying. Did you feel like other parts of his game were apparently suffering or not? Like when you looked at his putting or anything like that? Early on, yeah. Yeah. Early on, you could see. I mean, he missed, I think, a 12-footer. He airballed it. Ouch. Yeah, it was a little awkward. Wasn't it on this very podcast? (laughs) No. no. (laughs) Um, His putting was, I think, a little off, especially the first round and maybe even the second a little bit. Because he had to, he even said he had to change up his entire putting style because he couldn't push off and he couldn't put weight on it. So I think he, I think he suffered a little bit there, but ultimately was able to finish up and finish up strong, shooting at eight under par that final round. The same as Simon, the same as Kelvin, the same as Gossage is honestly, it's one of those games or one of those rounds that people will look back on in the future and go, wow. Like that was relatively. Nice. I think I read today he's having his knee drained. Oh, okay. That sounds gross. gross. <laughs> really? <laughs> so okay. yes. So he's having his knee drained today, and he's hoping that to. He's got two weeks to recover uh, before Portland. So hopefully that we wish you nothing but the best, Ricky. Uh, fifth place, Chandler Fry, uh, shooting a seven under par, and Chandler Fry, I believe, was maybe is that the the only gentleman who did not have an OB stroke. Yes, that's what I think uh, we ultimately heard. So he shot a seven under final round, getting up, passing up a bunch of players to get to 14th. He jumped up six spots. Seventh place, Drew Gibson giving us the highlight of the weekend, um, trying doing his best Nico impression of pretending to kick a basket. But unfortunately, as we all know, Nico a little more graceful than Drew Gibson. Drew Gibson fell on his ass. <laughs> And, yeah and and a meme was born so dare i uh okay ask away terry well no i was only gonna say again and this comes out of legitimate ignorance uh he was not on the lead card when it happened was he on a chase card he was on the card ch- i believe he was on the chase card okay and it, so this is really funny uh in the in uh, behind the scenes control room action here um little tech talk we are watching at that exact moment we're watching Matty O throw over the, uh, over one of the water shots, not quite make it. And Matty O is on the ground doing a Matty O thing. One of the things that we tell our cameramen after Matty O throws, don't leave him. He's going to give you something. 
He's going to give you a first down. He's going to give you some, some kind sort of reaction. Reaction animated. That's what Matty O does. And so we actually go back and replay to watch Matty O's reaction. And we're talking to Gary, who's doing replay. And Gary's like, no, I've got something that's better. And none of us had seen it other than Gary and replay. Even Mo, who usually watches all the cameras, somehow missed it. And we're like, what, what's better than that Matty O reaction? <laughs> we play it. I watch it live like everybody else because Gary O just puts it in the thing and all I see is Drew lining up for a putt. And I'm like, all right, what do you hit and roll like 50 feet? It was like two minutes of the control room laughing, <laughs> it, it, belly laughing, like to the point where we're like, okay, we need to comb that. We need to, we, we replayed it. We played it in slow motion. I, the only thing we didn't do was play it backwards, which I think would have been great. <laughs> sure. Um, and, and, and you know, poor Drew, I mean, shot well but guess what when you do something like that you're asking for it yeah and and the fact that he's okay if he of course if if, you know if there's some kind of serious injury or something as a result of it totally different story of course but the fact that he was perfectly fine other than a little bit of a bruised ego um yes then 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 it is appropriate enough to to laugh about it it's not like he you know fell off uh you know a a bridge and you know broke his ankle or anything silly like that he popped right up <clears throat> and uh, and and like I said, and the meme was born. Very funny. Very. If you haven't seen it, there's a great meme out there of him doing that, and then suddenly flying through space. And it's it's well worth your time. Um, and and without disappointment, you can also. And I've said this for a few years now. Follow Silas Schultz on Instagram Ooh, because he also has put together a uh, a pretty good version of it as as well. Uh, Silas pretty good uh with some of his um uh, impressions. Silas and, is classic. Yes, he does he does some pretty good work out there. So make sure you go out and you find his version of it as well. Okay, I will I will do that right after the show. Eighth place, Joel Freeman continuing to have his very solid season. He's always appears to be like five to ten. You know, so congratulations, Joel, having a really good season, almost a little under uh, under the radar because he's not quite hitting that top five, but he's never really falling out of the top ten, it feels like. So, yeah. so Joel Freeman, a, a very, very good season so far. Uh, ninth place, a tie with Austin Hannum and Gannon Burr. You know, Austin, th- this course just seemed to work for him for whatever reason. You know, he's not known as he's 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 a pretty decent He's got decent distance, but not elite distance like some of these guys. But Austin also does have he's and a lot of these guys. He's very proficient forehand and backhand. Yeah. And I think that helped him out quite a bit. And I think he had a good he probably had a good putting weekend, which is what it also takes. So congratulations to Austin, who shot, you know, very well. Uh, he actually had a, a a slightly below average, I'll say, final round where he only shot a three under when a lot of the other guys, when you're kind of shooting for a five to six, is really where everyone really wanted to end up. But still was able to, uh, he fell three spots in the final round, but still a top 10 finish. And as we know, Gannon Burr, he's the highlight of the season. He's the story of the season. Um, the 17, he's 17 now, uh, the 17 year old kid coming out and still uh, playing lights out golf yeah and and you have to wonder after the performance he has at a master's cup then you come back and still finish top 10 Mm -hmm. you know has he raised his own expectations to a level of like oh man i I had an off weekend uh when obviously so many people like simon and others have said a top 10 performance is 
doing solid work out there. However, you have to wonder where his new expectations have landed these days. I, it would be it's unfortunate, and I don't know if anyone did this. Ask him at the beginning of the season, what were your expectations for the season? You know, did you go in hoping to take a couple top twenties? Sure. And versus your expectation now. Is your expectation top 10 or bust exactly at this yeah. point as, you know, his, as his has his floor raised so to speak yeah in even terms then, of even, where he or did he come into the season going no i got this i can take top 10 every week sure i don't know what his uh preseason thought mentality was so either way pretty impressive and then uh because he's obviously uh one of the best in the world seemed like a less than stellar performance out of paul mcbeth this weekend, as I'm just finding him, I, I scrolling down to a tie for 19th. There was quite I mean, the quite the talk about whether he was going to take top 20. I don't believe he's ever gone two in a row without being in top 20 or something like that. There's some silly stat there, uh, but he he was able to squeeze into the top 20. I I, I don't know what his his uh, his thing is. I don't I don't know what his problem was this weekend. Unfortunately, we didn't get a chance to see him much. Yeah, I'm, I and I'm again. I'm just pulling up, and I am truly naive to all of this as I'm just pulling up some of the stats for the weekend and seeing eight OBs, which I'm sure he'd tell you is. I mean, well, that's clearly eight more than than Chandler, but eight OB strokes. Uh, you know, gain putting four point five one strokes. That was fifteenth. That was his best stat. Or strokes gained. Yeah, C one X three point six nine. So it does just looks like he was not killing it in any given category. Obviously. 68 was the opening round and then followed up by a 61 and a 62. Again, you're not necessarily concerning yourself about uh, who else is in 19th because that might be a, a career high finish for someone finishing that position. But when you're talking about one of the top rated players in the world and to see a little bit on the struggle bus for the last couple of weekends, I, I fair or not. I've said this conversation. I've said this before. And I'm. I hope this puts a small chip on his shoulder. Paul McBeth is not an elite distance player, and I think. Okay. And I think that's what this course required. Okay. Uh, like he he has Paul McBeth has phenomenal form. He is a good distance thrower. He is not elite. He he does not. These guys are out driving him by twenty, thirty, and forty feet now. And that could be one of the reasons he couldn't quote unquote keep up. Hmm. Maybe it's not. Maybe he looks at it a different way. That could be true. But, you know, he, he just doesn't have he doesn't have Calvin power. He doesn't have Simon power. He doesn't have. I don't know if I, I, I don't know. I don't think he has Gannon Burr power. OK, I mean, Macbeth plays a different game. He he plays more of a a touch game than a lot of these guys. And I don't think that's what that's what necessarily favored this course. And if it's true, and I, again, I didn't see a lot of him on, on camera. Um, he has been withholding that that forehand for a while because of an injury. I don't know if he did this weekend. But if that's if that's the case, there were a few shots that just it was a better shot to throw a forehand. And and I, I don't know if maybe that's part of it as well. We'll see. Hmm. I don't know. Dustin, who, you know, recaps things and talks on Disc Golf Network and does some work with Gatekeeper, is disagreeing with you on the board, he, Johnny. Do he, we want to just ban him now? Or? Yeah, I'm going to ban him. Um, <laughs> um, he says he has 550. Sure, he has 550 in a, in a wide open field. No doubt. When was the last time you saw Paul McBeth throw 550? In, in a low ceiling 
power throw. It's just not his style. You know, that's not what Paul does. He, he, because you're comparing it to what we see out of a Calvin yep. or an a, Eagle or a Simon a, or someone else that's, cor- that's able to do that. It's able to throw a low ceiling power shot, like a, a real, you know, a, 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 a very, very strong, fast throw. And that's just not Paul's game. And it, it's I've, I've said it before. I'll say it again. I think that these guys that are getting him by. Again, 20, 30, 50 feet, that adds up. Okay. And, 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 you know, it won't hurt on most holes, but there are some holes that you just, you're going to be in a better position if you can do that. Yeah. And I stated this earlier. I had the pleasure of being on the, uh, the league or league night, sorry, uh, on Disc Golf Network earlier tonight. My first time ever being there. Thank you to those guys. Uh, I was there with Matt and Jamie. And one thing I do recall is doing the math. And this weekend's 11,727 feet averaged out to 651 and a half feet. And I'll say it here again. Think about going out to your course tomorrow, whether it's league, whether it's for fun, and you step onto your course wherever you play and think about 18 holes in a row that are 651 feet. <laughs> Some people just like kind of grimace thinking about how their I, arm would hurt yeah. and how unpleasant or, or maybe not fun that would be for you. That's a lot of throwing and a lot of golf and a lot of distance to cover. That's for sure. I, I just, I think that's incredible. I, I remember getting ready for the 2011 worlds. And at the time, the average hole length, I think I added up all the courses there. The average hole length was like 432 feet or 468 feet, something in that neighborhood. And I remember thinking whatever the, the average hole length was longer than what I could typically throw myself um, and being relatively discouraged. I'll admit that. And now thinking about this elite series event on this one particular course with an average hole length of 651 feet, pretty Pretty crazy. All right. Uh, speaking of this weekend, uh, we might. It was a, a clearly a last moment thing. You may have even seen it, uh, have seen it unfold in the chat in the last few minutes. If we can work it out, we may even have one of the tournament directors from this weekend in Sean Mercy, uh, often referred to as one of the Sean's. Uh, because uh, Sean Jack and Sean Mercy take on the tournament directing for this event, along with a number of other things. So it sounds like if we can get him all fired up, we might be welcoming him to the show. Um, And in other similar news, we unfortunately heard just before the show, not only did we have this terrible shooting that took place in Texas earlier today, which I was just made aware of myself. I, I didn't have the news on. So, of course, uh, thinking about everyone, I, just unfathomable to think about somebody in a elementary school, and which is terrible. Johnny and I both have young kids, and it's just terrible effing everywhere, if you really just want to put it that way. Uh, also, catching wind uh, just before the show started that it sounds as if um, Simon's uncle has passed away, his uncle who lives in Canada, Peter. Peter. And so, um, understandably to the Lazat family, you know, Peter is apparently a, and I I don't know Peter very well. I have heard the name. He is a, a, a groundbreaker up in Canada. Mm -hmm. So he, he has very influential up there. So yeah, certainly tragic day. Also uh, heartbreaking. Anytime we're losing friends of our disc golf family and our Frisbee family, uh, especially such a legend of the game, but 
So hugs, thoughts, love, big hugs, as we always used to say here at uh, Smashbox. And it seems as if um, we might be ready to go. I think he can hear me if I can get a nod. It sounds like he can hear me. That means he probably will have his audio working coming in on very on no notice, in no fact, notice. from our Disc Baron Digital Green Room, one of the Sean, Sean Mercy. Welcome, buddy. Hey, guys. How you doing? Can you hear me? Yeah, you sound great. I'm doing I'm doing good. Uh, still catching up on some rest. But. <laughs> I was just going to say, how are you like at all awake or upright? <laughs> Talk to us about, first of all, who's crazy enough? This is a legitimate question for so many people. Who and why are people crazy enough to try and put on an elite series event? Like, where, where's that? Where's that drive come from to even host one? It's a really good question. Um, especially looking back on it right now, uh, <laughs> feeling appropriately worn out for, for what we, uh, what we put into this event. Um, honestly, like for me, I think it's once I agree to do something, I'm going to do it and I'm going to do my best to make sure it's the best that it can be. Um, working with Sean Jack, I think we both have a very similar, uh, set of standards for what we think, um, you know what event should be and of course like it's taken a few years i think to uh to build up to where we what we were able to achieve this year but um you know i think we we kind of hitched on to it in 2018 and we're really at this point just seeing it through so many people have talked and maybe i'm that's why i have a little fomo and a little frustration that i wasn't involved this year uh, so many people have talked, including Paige Pierce, our champion, about a new era and about the aura, the ambiance, the experience, about being out there at this event, at this park, and what you guys put together. So what, what's either changed or what are we missing that um, everybody is raving about so much? And don't be, don't be humble or shy about it. Tell us. <laughs> why is it so great? Um. I mean, I think it's a lot of what I just said, but at the same time, uh, really, I feel like this year things all just synced up for us uh, really well. Um, having the property at Swenson really unlocked, I think, the potential for an incredible spectator experience. Um, we were able to surface it last year, but not really tap into it. Um, we only had 40% of the area um, and really couldn't plan for spectators uh, or just didn't seem to make sense because uh, we weren't sure if we were going to be able to have spectators until like three weeks before the event, I think. Um, and then we really just did the best that we could given those circumstances. Um, but actually one of the major reasons we redesigned the course was for the spectator experience um, and not just for this year, but for the next, you know, three to five years. And I think, I saw that vision this weekend realized, although at a smaller scale than what we expect to see going forward. Yeah, you could really see the the open areas for spectators and a few places that were unique for spectators that I didn't expect to see. Normally, you see the spectators kind of hanging out around the players or around the green. You'd see somebody somebody throw and their disc would land halfway or three quarters up the fairway. And then there was a, a set of stands. And I was like, what the? Oh, that's a great place to be sitting because you get a probably a couple different holes in that area. And I was very impressed with a, the number of spectators that we saw out there, um, the quality of spectators and, and just uh, the locations of the spectators. 
Yeah, uh, the Disc Golf Pro Tour uh, actually was on site, or part of their operations team made it uh, to Swenson. It'll be two Wednesdays ago tomorrow, or two weeks ago tomorrow. So it was a few days before our amateur event, uh, which was the weekend before the Pro Tour event. Um, And they were able to start setting up the assets, actually, prior to the amateur event. So we had the truss up on 14. We had a bunch of the feather banners and walls and stuff up prior to our amateur event which I think gave them a head start, uh, obviously, on, on setting up the entire uh, course. Um, and, and I also think uh, they, have a much, they have a bigger and more capable team this year. Mm-hmm. Um, and so getting the head start plus the extra people, um, we were thinking about crowd control on Monday and had ropes out and basically done by the end of day Tuesday. I mean, we kept adding, but the, the majority of it was done by like Tuesday evening. Um, and I think we did a really good job of providing great access for general admission while also differentiating between that access and what the VIP passes were able to get. Um, and I don't know if, did you guys catch the elevated platform on hole six, five, six? I don't know if I remember seeing that. It was basically like a little stage. Um, so we had like a, a concession area to the right. Of, if you're the player to the right of the teapad on six. Okay. Um, we call that party peninsula or party island. Oh, yes. Yes. Uh, our, and, our drone showed it a few times. Yeah. It looked phenomenal. Yeah. So we had a, right. So we had a bunch of people over there uh, with tables and canopies, um, food and beverage. And then on the left side of the player's teapad was a platform so that uh, VIP spectators could see over this mound that would basically be blocking view if you were standing in that location otherwise. So that was one of the things that we added on the course this year. Uh, We added a few sets of bleachers um, on hole 18, which we did not have last year. Uh, We had bleachers on one. um, And yeah, I think just all told, I think we were able to really not only like set up the infrastructure to uh, have a good spectator experience and provide great, great viewing, um, but also just the planning and knowing how to move people around the property, like during the rounds. I think that all that together really led to, to what people were able to, to gain access to. Yeah. I, I, as I say, I do feel like this is from what we've seen so far, one of the best spectator experiences on the tour. And, it, you know, I'm, I'm trying to think of other events that have that have come close and I can't think of any. It looked like this one was set up as well as we've ever seen. That's what I'm hearing. I, I honestly haven't been to a ton of other big events. Um, been a GMC uh, many times and Worlds in 2018. Um, but otherwise, most of the, the big uh, Elite Series events have been either SFO or um, are now OTB Open. Now, yeah, that's that's the feedback we received, including from Jeff Jaquois, which was really a pretty big compliment. Yeah, for sure, because he's not only running one of the biggest <laughs> events, but also now is on site for so many of them. Yeah. So clearly has yep. has great perspective. So, as you said, uh, a, a very worthy compliment. What is maybe explain to everyone what is the relationship? How does it come about with uh, Swenson and and what does that mean? Planning wise you know, cost reservation wise, you know, some of those things that maybe aren't obvious or apparent to uh, anyone that's not in those um, intricate planning stages. Right. Um, So we basically rent 
the golf course property from Swenson LLC, um, which is uh, owned by Kemper Sports, uh, which is a big golf um, golf management company, I guess. Mm. Um, but we negotiate directly with with Swenson. Uh, Joe Smith is the GM, and uh, that that connection was made by uh, Craig Gustafson or Crash um, and the Delta Windjammers uh, okay. in twenty. 20 actually late 2020 um since then though we've been working directly with him uh this year we are gonna end up paying twenty thousand dollars uh which is a pretty good deal uh for about 150 acres is my understanding of of how much property there is there um and then in terms of like you know planning the event and building the course um so on and so forth uh it's it's both sean jack and i you know basically communicating with Joe Smith. And then for the course build, uh, Joe actually just put me in touch with his superintendent. Um, his name's Caesar. And so for anything property related, if we wanted to, um, um, but they're actually amazing to work with. Uh, they understand where we're at and, and sort of scaling this event um, they were, you know, very impressed with what we did last year. And Joe actually kind of pushed us to take over the entire property this year, which, you know, mm-hmm. kind of unlocked the potential to, to do the redesign that we did, um, and, and set up for, for kind of scaling for the next three to five years. Um, but yeah, it's, uh, I expect the costs to definitely go up for next year. <laughs> um, He's pretty transparent with us in terms of what his revenue numbers are and what they need to be because he has to report up to corporate essentially. Um, and the way that he frames it is he wants to make sure that there's not too big of a gap because he doesn't want to answer a bunch of bunch of questions. And then once corporate gets more involved, maybe it becomes more complicated. So, well, and that was going to be. It always seems like our perfect. Uh, crossroad is finding a golf course that isn't entirely run down where it's you know too much work but also one that's not incredibly busy so that it costs too much to go rent it from them for a weekend or a week or a few different weeks and finding like that perfect mix and and intersection can be tough to do and so i mean in some ways you almost wish like hey i wish i wish you know your golf numbers would fall a little bit because you might be easier to negotiate (laughs) with uh it's true and it feels like but is is that so I guess two parts to this question is um, if somebody went out there today or tomorrow or next week, they're not seeing disc golf in any capacity, are they? Like there's, uh, well, not on the course that we used. Uh, okay. But there is a permanent, there's a permanent 18 hole uh, disc golf course that's located on um, basically concurrent with the nine hole executive golf course. So there's actually two golf, co- there's three total golf courses, I guess, on the property. There's an 18-hole golf course, there's a 9-hole executive, and then there's an 18-disc golf course on that same side of the property. Um, so you may see some disc golf there, but otherwise, uh, we were out there uh, yesterday and today breaking down. Um, golfers started to trickle back in, um, and it was pretty incredible. Leave it, I mean, it, even yesterday evening at 5 p.m., pretty much everything was off the course, uh, which I was pleasantly surprised about. Um <laughs> And, uh, you know, it, it definitely, it felt kind of surreal, you know, looking around and, and as like the sun gets low, that it's so beautiful out there and it was just so peaceful and compared to like, you know, 
after Simon dropped in his final putt on Sunday to that moment yesterday. It was just, <laughs> I don't know. It was pretty nuts. <laughs> And so I guess then maybe that answers the question, though. The, the golf and their operation there is is doing just fine. Is that a good way to put it? Or uh, are they yeah, struggling in so. any way? No, I mean, honestly, uh, we were out there probably seven weekends leading up to the event, putting the, the tee box foundations in. Um, so Saturday and Sunday and except for Mother's Day um, and, and days that they had other events going on, they had full tee sheets. So they okay. were very busy. Um, we actually had to coordinate and, and plan like when we were going to be working on certain tee boxes to, for safety um, because he wasn't going to turn golfers away while we were trying to, to put those foundations in. Yeah, finding those places to coexist and the times to do it and I'll just, all, just a whole other set of challenges that – largely is not realized by our disc golf community. And, uh, right. you know, way back in the day, I've run, you know, temporary courses on ball golf courses. I think I've done it at three different places and there's all the struggles. And that was at a tiny, tiny fraction of what you guys were putting on. So I, I know of the challenges that present uh, that are presented when you're doing that kind of thing. Now, uh, you know, you mentioned a three to five year plan. You You guys foresee yourself with this event and this venue uh, for the foreseeable future. Is that a fair statement? I think that's a fair statement. Okay. I mean, definitely next year, but you know, the future is very hard to predict. Um, (laughs) So, uh, and we're not signing any contracts, at least with the venue. Okay. Okay. But it's hard to imagine right now coming out of this past weekend um, and imagining that we would be moving anywhere uh, in the near term meaning the next, you know, at least three years, let's say. Yeah, and I, and and this isn't, um, you know, I'm not out to uh, air dirty laundry or dig up dirt or anything of that nature, but uh, maybe explain why you guys did make a transition from what we saw over at the other... Glen Eagles. Glen Eagles, right? Uh, I keep yep, thinking Glenn that, Eagles. and Glen Devere, those are all on the tour, but Glen Eagles <laughs> uh, had disc golf. We were there for... Um, you know, at least one iteration of the pro tour and, you know, what, Three, what kind two of years. Pro- two years? Yeah. I was there for one. It happened to what, um, what, what prompted that change and how did that come about? So in September of 2020, uh, Sean and I started talking about, um, the 2021 event and, you know, given the state of or where we were at in the Bay area and in general with COVID, um, we thought that we needed, uh, a plan B um, in case, you know, the city wasn't allowing events again um, because we were planning to do it at Glen Eagles in 2020. Um, we had a contract, we were ready to go um, and then COVID hit. Um, and so we, we canceled that. Uh, the, the owner of that course was very understanding of the situation. Thankfully we weren't um, invested in it, meaning we had, we didn't pay him any money um, for that, that canceled event. Um, it was hard to imagine that we would be leaving that property because the course is amazing. Uh, the two events that we had there in 2018 and 2019 were amazing. Um, but we did start talking about it. Uh, we, we thought about pretty much any course in Northern California, you know, within um, driving distance essentially of where we live in the Bay area. Um, and, you know, there wasn't any clear, obvious alternative. Um, we actually 
thought quite a bit about a course up in Willits, California, Mendocino County called Brook Trails. Um, they've held quite a few disc golf tournaments up there, but there's no cell coverage. Um, mm -hmm. And we knew that would be a major, major issue. So uh, we were kind of, you know, kind of had a plan B. Maybe we could make Brook Trails work. Maybe we could make one of the courses up in Tahoe work. Um, and then around that time, I'd say early October, Sean Jack was, was talking to, uh, to Danny, uh, Corbett from OTB and, uh, Craig Gustafson actually. Um, and next thing we knew we were, uh, he was like sitting down for lunch with, I think the, the, uh, the GM of the, the golf course in Swenson. And they started talking about what it would look like and what it would cost and all of these things. Um, and then we also, uh, I think at that same lunch, uh, visit Stockton, which is basically the tourism bureau bureau for, uh, Stockton, um, said that they would be interested in supporting the event and, you know, financially, uh, and helping run the gate, for example. Um, and so Sean called me on the way back from Stockton. Um, I think it was the next day and said, Hey, you know, uh, I think we need to talk about possibly moving the event to Stockton. Mm -hmm. And I think we had talked about it very briefly in September when we were thinking about other venues, um, but didn't think too seriously about it um, just because, I mean, neither of us knew the property that well, but our perception was that it wasn't super interesting um, from a, golf, a disc golf course design perspective. Um, but uh, at that point, you know, we started thinking about it pretty hard and uh, I'm not sure when, but it happened pretty quickly within a couple of weeks. Actually, we had come to an agreement um, to move the event. Now, uh, which uh, <laughs> I think about how all of these interesting um advancements kind of develop and sometimes the right place at the right time. Sometimes it's money. Sometimes it's location. Everything at one time or another has to all come together. What do you say to someone that says, uh, we're going to another ball golf course. We're going to wide open areas. You know, it's, it's not hilly enough. It doesn't have the right terrain, you know, what, whatever a number or a slew of the things that get said, what's your response to someone that, that says something like that. Um, I think that's a fair criticism of some disc golf courses on golf courses. Um, and it really depends on, on the property, obviously to an extent, but, but really I think primarily on, on the approach of, of the design for, for the course, but really it's, it's the event, right? Like we're doing events and the tournament is obviously core and central to it. The competition um, so the course needs to be very challenging and interesting to players. Um, but I think, you know, I would just ask that people really take a look at our caddy book. You know, if you want to see a disc golf course on a golf course that if you didn't know the golf fairways were there, you wouldn't know there was a golf course there. Like we literally bisected three fairways, <laughs> three golf fairways on hole five yeah. alone. That's the I don't think there footer. was a single, yeah, I don't think there was a single hole that we used the golf fairway as our fairway. Hole one a little bit, but we're shooting diagonally across it and then going into the bushes, you know? Um, 
So I think, you know, when you have someone like Leonard Muse uh, with Whirlwind uh, Disc Sports um, as your head designer and listening to you and what you're you're looking for, not only, again, from a course perspective, but from an event. Um, uh, I think a really good course that not only serves the competition very well, the players like, but also uh, allows us to do what we did this past weekend with the spectators. And just... Curious, maybe maybe you can or can't share. Uh, approximately how many spectators did we have this weekend? I would share, honestly. I don't have the numbers in front of me. Um, I think if I had to take a guess on Sunday, our maximum um, all-in, including players and caddies, probably approached 1,000. Awesome. Um, we sold quite a few tickets. I don't have those numbers, but I think, you know, if we had a thousand on, on Friday, uh, 800 of those, maybe 750 were, were paying, um, to, to spectate. Um, and then on Sunday, maybe 20% less and Friday, maybe 30% less than that. Yeah. And yeah, clearly in talking to Sean Jack throughout the years, you know, he, to me, has always been that voice that has wanted to push us forward in so many other professional ways in which we're seeing and drawing parallels to other sports, other venues, other experiences that can be had. And I don't want to say that's just that's obviously not just the salesman in him, <laughs> but he clearly has just a, a bigger scope and a bigger picture that disc golf, you know, has been trying to model or is trying to find. And I think he's helping lead that direction, lead us down that path in that direction. W- what was it like having obviously Kevin Jones was there uh, doing his set and then having the music on site? It seems like that's such a I don't want to say a corner piece, but that clearly is a, a significant part of what so many people feel like was special about this weekend. Yeah. Um, it was actually ended up being great. I think it was a, a bit of a smaller turnout than the pro tour was hoping, but also they anticipated given, you know, how late the announcement was made and uh, the ability to communicate through to the community. Um, but you know, I know Paige Pierce had a really good time out there uh, and some of the other players. I We also had a guts demonstration going on at the same mm. time for the first like hour, I would say. So I was hanging out over there um, uh, on the other side of the course, but eventually made it over and saw the last few songs of the, of the band and they were fantastic. I think, um, you know, this is really what the sport is looking to do at the highest level. It's not just a disc golf competition it's an event and it's, it's, you know, providing entertainment, not only in the form of a disc golf competition, but, um, games on the side, we had like a little three hole spectator course that people could play. Um, and at night, at least one of the nights we, we have music. And I think this is then really Jeff Springs vision, that part of it, Sean Jack obviously drives a lot of what our vision has been and what we have brought to the table. But as far as the music goes, um, you know, I think I would say Jeff is, was the big driver behind getting that going. Um, and we've all seen his vision realized at GMC for the past like seven, eight, nine years at this point. Um, and I think what's neat about bringing the music on site for the, on the same grounds as the tournament is that people can literally finish watching the golf and then walk 
you know, 200 yards and start watching music. Yeah. And, and pulling it all together and, and Jeff, uh, as he's helping getting it all executed and realizing that vision and, and having it even prior to him seeing, you know, Je- uh, ultimately Steve Dodge and the whole vision of sure. everything that was, you know, part of a disc golf pro tour event, you know, as a lot of people or some Very people true. know, there were games that got literally hauled around the country, maybe not so efficiently, <laughs> but there were games that were hauled around the country that were set up at all the disc golf pro tour events and, you know, concessions and all of that stuff was all part of this Frisbee festival uh, mm-hmm. that really made up. And, and, you know, there were a lot of challenges with it and, and some inefficiencies at first, but we're slowly and surely getting to that ultimate vision somewhere. I've got a PowerPoint that Steve Dodge sent me of the original, you know, disc golf pro tour and what it was all to encompass. And I feel like it's getting closer and closer to that every single weekend. And it's, it's incredible. Yeah, it is absolutely incredible. Um, And absolutely agree also that Steve has, he laid out the vision Um, and, you know, I think it took longer than, than, he was hoping obviously. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, um, at this point, uh, yeah, I agree. We're really just kind of following what people I think conceptualize many years ago. Um, and, and finally now, like, I think we have the pieces in place to actually do what we did last weekend. So I know you're very active, uh, within the San Francisco community, California and everywhere else. How do you, how do you follow up, you know, the, the, all the highs that come with, running an event of this scale and this magnitude, running it so successfully. Uh, is it all about planning for the next year? Are you thinking about the next B tier you're helping with? Like where, where does it go from here? Uh, you know, for what's on your plate? Well, I think for at least the next few weeks, uh, I'll be taking a little bit of a breather. Um, I am also the president of the San Francisco Disc Golf Club, mm-hmm. um, and I've been neglecting my duties for a couple months now. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, we do have a general meeting that I need to make sure is planned for like late June, but otherwise, I'm gonna, you know, kind of pull back a little bit um, from from what's been going on the last three months. I'm, I've put in. It's been pretty pretty nuts, actually. I don't, I don't know if you guys heard about how how much work those T pads were, but um, we started I, in early March. Yeah, I think they even had a uh, like a like a small asset piece about the creation of them that we played at one point uh, during yeah. the broadcast. It, it, it looked like a lot of work, and the T pads looked phenomenal. Yeah, I think they they turned out uh, the way we were hoping. Um, but yeah, we we decided in late February really to at least look into installing uh, a foundation instead of just laying the turf on top of uh, the grass or the ground um, like we did last year. Um, And we start, we considered it because those tees last year were quite a bit of work to get them to be acceptable. In my opinion, Um, the players didn't complain too much, uh, but I think we also got a bit of, you know, leeway because it is a temporary course, right? We're only setting it up for a couple weekends and then, tearing it all down. Um, but we did do a lot of work, a lot of shovel work and rake work and the tees were still just okay. Um, and given, you know, the level of event this is, I believe that we can't have anything that's just okay. 
everything needs to be at least good and we want everything to be, you know, as close to perfect as possible. Um, and so we, we decided late February, we were going to install 32 foundations. Um, and so we basically built frames out of pressure treated wood, um, six by six by 13 for the men and six by 11 for the, for the women. Um, and we started actually, we sunk them in the ground, like, uh, with the grade. So whatever the terrain was around there, we basically matched it so that, um, the golf course mowers could go over them and we would not have to pull them back out. Um, and so we're actually able to leave 31 of those foundations in, um, which we probably wouldn't have done it if we couldn't do that because the amount of, uh, time material, um, that it would take to, to just to get foundations that you have to pull out at the end just wouldn't have made sense. Um, so again, going back to like our relationship with the golf course and the, the uh, superintendent, the guy who has to maintain the entire golf course being open to the idea and then, you know, talking it through with me out there on the course, me making clear that I understood what his concerns were. And then we did a few of them. We showed him and he's like, all right, that looks good. I can deal with this. And so we went on. Um, but all, all told, it was like 1,300 person hours over the course of like seven, seven weeks. Uh, most of it was on the weekends. Um, I basically spent all my weekends in Stockton from the beginning of March until the tournament. And then the last two weekends for the tournaments. Um, and we had like 30-something people come out at least once. And I think we probably had eight to 10 really core contributors who gave us, you know, 50 plus hours each and like six gave us like well over a hundred hours. Um, the thumpters from Stockton and, uh, John Olivia, um, were absolutely huge. We wouldn't have been able to do it without the support that we got locally. Um, but yeah, it was, it was a big project. Uh, just really happy that we were able to finish in time. (laughs) So that's all fine and dandy, but let's trash you about your trophy. (laughs) <laughs> oh, shit. I mean, yeah. I, and, and I, I say that tongue in cheek. I mean, and I and maybe the timing is just there. Like we talk about the thousands of man hours and the work that goes into the event, the insane effort, the dedication, you know, the hour and a half drive alone in good traffic, you know, for you to get from one city to another to put in weekend after weekend. It How, how does does it? Are you surprised and does it make your skin crawl or frustrate you or not when then somebody immediately wants to say, yeah, but I'm, you know, I'm not happy with the trophy that someone else won. I mean, does does that bother you? Uh, well, uh, well, thankfully, I haven't been online that much over the last couple of days, uh, but I have heard I have, you know, at least heard the reflection of it. Uh, and we we did anticipate a little bit of pushback. Um, it was you know, honestly, we needed trophies. Uh, we were behind on a lot of stuff and, uh, it, it was not made a priority. To be honest, um, I was able to, we had an amateur event the weekend before it's an A tier with, you know, 210 competitors and 13 divisions, I think. So I needed trophies for that event. Um, and I was able to work out a deal with this um, to do the trophies for us. And we included the pros because I mean, mm-hmm. You know, why not? It's only six more trophies and, you know, on top of 38. Um, and so, 
that's how we ended up with those trophies. The amateurs were thrilled, by the way. Of course. <laughs> They're perfect course. amateur trophies. I was just going to say, quite honestly, say, we all know most of our pros, it's been said also, most of our pros don't really care. And they end up not, they give it away to a caddy or they or they just complain that they have no way to ship it and they can't fit in their van. And they don't, they don't know if it'll ever get back you, home or not. Your, like, your trophy either has to be phenomenal like mind-blowing like, like mind-blowing so that a player goes oh this is something i want to display or right and and let's look at it this way there's about eight players that 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 qualifies for that looks at like oh i would keep this every other player i guarantee you simon takes that disc and loves it he hasn't he hasn't won an, an, an nt elite series in a few years i bet you he takes that and puts it right on a wall somewhere i i don't know like it just yeah. I don't think, yeah. It, it no, seems I like mean, it's honestly, yeah. And Simon did show it on his vlog today. Mm -hmm. uh, he was holding it up very proudly. Exactly. Um, Cage, not so much. And and we, we completely understand both, you know. Sure. Uh, and I think it's a it's a fair criticism, at least. You know, we, we do need to do better there. Uh, we need something to at least present, you know, um, to be part of that whole ceremony at the end of the tournament. Um, we're probably only going to do first place going forward. Um, just because like second and third, you know, most of the touring players don't care, you know, they didn't win. Um, and the payout was good. So if they don't get a trophy, I think they'll be totally fine. Um, but we will do better with the trophy next year. Well, uh, I, I think we'll probably end up with something that stays on site. Mm -hmm. Um, if it's an actual trophy, um, otherwise, uh, you know, maybe something very unique that, that most players would want to take with them, um, yeah. because it is pretty disheartening to spend a fair amount of time and money on a good trophy and then see the player just like not care, yeah. you know, we, I've literally seen the venue and not care whether they ever see it again, mm -hmm. literally seen players throw away trophies. Yeah. Throw them in the garbage. Yep. I saw a very them. disgruntled fpo player years ago take a very nice looking trophy and literally dropped it in a garbage can i might have been the only person that saw it i saw it happen i was just like oh my gosh and that was one of the better trophies too but they were displeased they were displeased with their effort and just and was finished. like yeah this is yeah. one less thing that i, I want to put in my van or my trailer or my camper or my car mm -hmm. and that was the end of it. So it's, um, yeah. Anyway, you know, this, this is kind of that classic, like, you know, I, th I think there's a meme around there where, you know, where a teacher like writes, you know, 20 equations on the board. There's one little thing wrong and all, every student just points out the one thing that's wrong, not the other 20 things that are correct. And that's, that feels like one of these scenarios. You guys <laughs> nailed it on so many levels with so many accolades and then something that doesn't impact the viewers at all <laughs> at all is a trophy and then but that that becomes a conversation piece so yeah yeah no i think i think the critics are just looking for their end you know um, <laughs> everybody i guarantee you that i guarantee you that anybody that was on site didn't care what the trophy looked like yeah no. yeah yeah exactly. you know any of the spectators that were actually there like they would not point that out i don't think but you know yeah, you whatever. get it we're, so we're, all you we do is you, skin. you, you, you <laughs> yeah. get a really nice trophy next year and you put whoever won this year on it as first, you know, or whatever. Or, or you go back a few years and you add everybody on to it like, oh, this is the oh, this is the 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 OTB trophy or or the MVP trophy yeah. or whatever, whatever your sponsor is or whatever you want to call it. That's the Stockton trophy. And then you just make sure like, oh, yeah, look, we we added you because you were the 
whatever. It just and you give them a knickknack to take home, something small and that they that I think that's that they could throw like a frisbee, something they could throw like a frisbee. <laughs> uh, so quick, uh, quick follow up to all this. We saw the incredible news uh, a, a few months ago. In fact, with MVP stepping up in a major way, along with Steve Dodge over at uh, obviously the MVP Open and at Maple Hill, a long term commitment. Can you share where where you guys are? Was was this a one or a two year deal, or is is there a longer contract in place, or is that all up for negotiation right now? So we had a one year deal, um, but uh, we ha- actually had a debrief with MVP uh, this morning, um, as well as Danny Corbett with OTB, and um, we we haven't really talked terms yet, but uh, we did both indicate that we would like to do a multi-year deal uh, with MVP. Um, so we're going to, you know, continue discussing that and see what makes sense. Um, but we're absolutely thrilled with how it worked out with them this year. Um, you know, when we signed the agreement in January, we knew that the options for discs were, was going to be pretty constrained because their production schedule had already been set. Um, a lot of it had already been allocated. Um, you know, we couldn't get like exclusive, uh, exclusive, uh, plastic mold combinations, things like that it had to be already in the queue. Um, so that really limited us, limited us for this year, but we, we knew it. Um, and, uh, Danny was okay with that. So, uh, we moved forward and, you know, we talked today about some pretty exciting stuff for next year. Um, I think that we'll really start to unlock the potential in terms of merchandise next year. Um, but the support, uh, all around, uh, from leading up to the event, getting our discs like in the queue, stamped, shipped was phenomenal. And then MVP sent five guys to the, to the tournaments before the amateur event, uh, to support us and to do some retail for them. And they were absolutely phenomenal. Um, they basically, they helped us build up the course before AMS and then pros uh, they did their assets, you know, of course, out on on uh, on the track as well. Um, but they were basically just part of the event team. Um, great attitudes, very capable guys, um, and you know, I I see good things in the future with them. Awesome! It's uh, it's great to hear, and I I think that also speaks volumes in that. You know, as recently as a year or so ago or two years ago, I know Sean Jack uh, may have even been sponsored uh, by a competitor in Innova. And and just knowing that you guys, for the for the best and the greatest good of the event, are willing to set aside, uh, you know, some of those personal relationships and whatever to put on the best show for, the you know, ultimately the players in the Disc Golf Pro Tour. And so I, I think that says a lot um, overall and and. Yeah, I, clearly, it's getting more and more competitive as I feel <laughs> yes. like our sponsors are clearly trying to get the most bang for their buck. But events are also asking more and more of the sponsors, uh, mm-hmm. you know, event to event as well. So uh, a very competitive space to be in. And you got to wonder who who now has the upper hand. It used to be, you know, so interesting to kind of almost beg some turn, you know, some event. Uh, manufacturers to sponsor an event and you, you were happy to, if you got a discount on some discs and maybe a few things for free. And now right. uh, the conversations are so much more intense at such a larger scale, right? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I'm pretty pleased with our position. I can, I can say that <laughs> I think uh, MVP is, is really happy with how things went this year. 
um, and really want to figure out how to how to scale it up going forward. So, um, yeah, I think it is a different. It's really a different paradigm for events at the at the highest level. Um, if you're able to execute and deliver value to your partner, be good to work with. You know um, that that you can you can be in a good position with a manufacturer like this. Yeah. Now the only thing that you guys again dropped the ball on is I didn't see a cheesy uh, commercial with you guys along with Steve over at MVP. That that's the only thing that was missing. It's a it's a, it's a cheesy announcement commercial. Uh, cheesy's maybe even a little strong. It, it was anything with Steve Dodge. You know you're going to get some humor mixed in there. Uh, oh right. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, yeah. but uh, awesome to hear and and you know. Uh, big shout out to MVP uh, for stepping up in the way that they have. And then uh, as we start to close it out here, you you and Sean, you know, affectionately referred to as the Seans, uh, you guys actually have a a management tournament directing company, right? Uh, explain to the world, you know, why you would do that and what that exactly means. And should others be following suit? Yeah, I mean... Um... So after the 2018 SFO, which I was the assistant TD for, um, I actually I took on quite a bit of the responsibilities for that event. And, uh, you know, after probably a couple months after the event, Sean and I talked and I'm like, hey, I was like, I want to be a partner in this and I want to take on, you know, some of the financial liability. Um, in 2018, he wrote, he ran it as a sole proprietor. Um, but I also want to invest, you know, in a business that, um, that does this sort of thing. And I think as events scale, it makes more and more sense, um, with the amount of money involved, um, and the amount of liability that's involved to, to set up something like, uh, an LLC, uh, which is what we did in late 2019 or early 2020. And so, Sorry, uh, late 2018 or 2019. So starting with the 2019 SFO, we ran everything through our company, Thousand Rated Productions. Um, and that's basically our financial vehicle or business entity, if you will, that we run the entire event through. And I, okay. yeah, like I said, I, I do think it's it's something that, that other event um, producers or tournament directors um, should consider doing. It definitely makes a lot of things easier, um, personal tax liability, um, having some kind of separation between your own personal finances and the finances for the event. Um, I mean, we're, we were up, I think our total revenue was, you know, a couple hundred thousand dollars this year. Um, and you know, most of that went back out. So, uh, you know, if, if it goes the other way and things fall apart, you do <laughs> probably want something in between, but also just it, it is also a formalized partnership um, between him and I. Um, I'm very grateful that that he was interested in doing that. And um, I'm very happy that that we we are in business together. Yeah. And, and I think that there's a underlying message for everyone. Anytime you're doing any form of business, always set yourself up, whether it's an S corp or a C corp or an LLC or whatever mm-hmm. makes the most sense for you and, and who you're involved with always to do that just to have that extra layer of protection in case, you know, anything catastrophic or terrible would ever happen. You know, you're not, you're not getting your, you know, your kids, uh, college fund taken away, right. uh, because of some crazy lawsuit or whatever the case might be. There's just a, a good idea for everyone to do and, uh, go out and get a, 
uh, umbrella insurance policy or something on top of that, even if you have to. Unfortunately, yep. those are all the things we have to do these days. Uh, we do. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, well, it we has been. For all of those. Go ahead. Uh, I was just going to say, it's been incredible. Is there any any takeaways or final notes, shout outs, whatever it might be, or or just any clearing up any other misconceptions or or other notes that you want to throw out there for the world totally open platform to to do so well i appreciate that Uh, i definitely don't have anything prepared but um i would like to thank everybody who uh participated in the event this year um the disc golf pro tour um mvp uh purpley um our core team, um, which is uh, Andy Rothschild, Corey Morrell, uh, Jeff Fays, Ben Fox, Sean Pearson, um, James Teets, Matt Neiman, and uh, a new new to the team this year is our brand new volunteer coordinator, John Janone. Co- volunteer coordinator, John Janone. Um, and then I'd like to thank uh, some of the core people um, who helped us build the course. Excuse me uh, while I pull that up really quick. Yeah, get, um, yeah, let's get them all in there. OTB as well, I'm sure. Oh, yeah, only the best discs. Uh, Danny and his team are absolutely amazing to work with. Um, we're very fortunate. You know, we knew we knew those guys uh, actually before all of this, um, and so uh, it was. It's it's a little weird getting into business with your friends, um, but it's been phenomenal. I mean, they're super supportive. They handle. A lot of the stuff uh, like merchandising that that we used to handle, so that's taken a load off us. Um, and uh, yeah, very very thankful and looking forward to continuing to work with them. Uh, Swenson Golf Course, um, the entire staff there was absolutely fantastic. Um, and I am going to be opening the spreadsheet right now. So I logged I logged all of our hours on the uh, on the course build out. Um, there's many more names, and I do apologize for anybody I miss. Um, but I would really like to throw a special shout out to Greg Durlu, who is also on our core team and is local to Stockton. Uh, Sean Freeman, Stephen Davis, John Olivia, Theresa May Funk, George Kimmerling, Alexander O'Hara, Joe Schulz, Sue Perales. Chris Bates and Carlos Perales. Uh, without those guys and gals, um, we would not have been able to do the event that we did this year. Uh, so I'm super grateful and humbled for all of the time that they donated and for all of the volunteers that supported the event, both for the amateurs and the pros. Awesome. But, uh, again, I, I, Rarely am I not at events, and clearly it sounds like this one I'm going to have to fight for next year to make sure I'm involved. Whether you it's better, uh, Terry. <laughs> <laughs> uh, whether it's uh, out on the ground doing the sideline reporting, or or I'm in the uh, booth, either or, uh, it seems like I need to certainly get back. and And I'm clearly not surprised by 
the energy and the effort, the excitement, and just the overall results that I did see and hear from the event. None of that surprises me. It sounds like everyone had a phenomenal time and great golf was provided and solid payouts, just everything. Uh, thousand rated, I think they would say, or, or above. <laughs> maybe Certainly. maybe we need to rename it 1050 rated. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We no. made that joke a few years ago about <laughs> some companies that were like, or, or websites, like thousand rated back when that was, yeah. you know, a bigger, oh, deal. A, a bigger deal. Now, it feels like it, if you want to go big, you got to go 1100. Yeah. I mean. <laughs> <laughs> Planning for the future. That's right. Now, thank you guys so much for the opportunity to talk tonight. No, we uh, really appreciate pleasure. it. Uh, you know, you you guys are out there killing it, and that gives us so much to view, to watch, to you know, for everyone to enjoy. And uh, we get to sit back and largely, um, you know, critique. Well, yeah, not, <laughs> but we get we get to take it all in and benefit from the work that you guys put forth. And uh, we just can't say thank you enough. So, hats off to you guys. Hats off to the you know the pro tour and the network, and of course our champions and all the competitors. Like you said, uh, super glad to share a little bit more insight behind the scenes and some more of the, yeah. the background in the story. So thanks so much for tuning in and uh, for jumping on. We had no yeah. plans of having you and you were in the chat and we just make it happen. So uh, thank you for uh, for being uh, helpful and flexible in that way as well. No, thank you guys for everything. And and please, thank you for all of your work. Like without you guys, we wouldn't be here right now. We wouldn't have had the live streaming, you know, the way that we have it these days. Uh, you guys have donated so much of your time to the sport. Um, thank you so much. Well, we appreciate Thank it. You. We appreciate All it. right, everyone. That right. is Sean Mercy, your TD, co-TD, assistant, part team, superstar, all of that of a 1,000 rated <laughs> from the OTB Open presented by MVP. Thanks for joining us and uh, looking forward to the next time I see you, buddy. All right. Take care, guys. All right. Take care. Night. And I know this is going to sound crazy, everyone. But he literally was in the chat. He made a comment. I saw that. He, and right he made- from there, I said, hey, get on the show. And <laughs> that's how it rolled. So uh, thank uh, you. Uh, absolutely. Unlike his event, no prep work here. We just went right into it. So That's how we roll at Smashbox. Yeah. That's not how <laughs> <Yes>. they roll. <laughs> yeah. They prep, we benefit. That's how that goes. So uh, so glad to have Sean join us. Thank you uh, to everyone else that has been uh, following along, asking questions, chiming in. Most of you are positive, except for the one typical DB that's <laughs> out there. Uh, uh. Anyway, um, so we've covered all the results, all the details from the event. We talked about a few of the storylines. I think we've got all of that locked down and and, uh, taken care of. Johnny, why don't you head over to the PDGA, find out if there's anything else. Usually we see some announcements about some approved discs or any other major projects or initiatives. I've got one for you as soon as you break down the PDGA. What do you got? Uh, Well, I'm looking at the announcements page, and right now they've got the 2022 PDGA World Championships registration dates out there. So you can go out there and uh, for AM Worlds... Uh, Masters Worlds, Junior Worlds, and Pro Worlds. You can uh, you can look. So as of Monday, June sixth. So we're coming up on that in about mm-hmm. just uh, about two weeks. Nine seventy and above can register. Oh, so you and I still can't. can't. <laughs> no, we can't. Uh, but can we? Do you think we can get run? exemptions? Uh, no, they I cashed in a Worlds once or a few times. I don't know. I wonder if I could pull some strings. I doubt it. Um, <laughs> Probably not anymore. Those no. days are gone. Those days are gone. Um, but 
No, I was thinking like, can we can we quick run an event that we can try to play? Anyway, hope <laughs> to play well. <laughs> <laughs> a world's exemption uh, event that then uh, earns yes. your spot. Correct. So yeah, that that's kind of the PDGA and stuff. As as always, you know, there was a, a couple new discs from other companies that were approved. But you know what? That's meh, whatever. Um, uh, discs, okay. there's so many, there's so many and they so many are. companies I and I just, you know, unle- I, I feel bad saying this, but unless it's like a, uh, a, a, one of our bigger known companies, I, I don't even feel lately like, like, Oh, Hey, here's something from, you know, monsoon discs, which I think just released one or something, or maybe it was the monsoon. I don't know. But anyway, a bunch of discs out there. So please go try all the discs. Honestly, try them all. Buy one of everything. Make everybody happy. Okay. Go PDGA ahead. News. We've got, uh, and they talked about it during one of the PDGA interviews on the broadcast, was a call for candidates. Uh, there's global uh, global board candidacy is due May 31st. So you have one week from today to, if you're interested in being on one of the boards, whether I think it's the European board or the PDGA one, you can become a candidate. Um, we had one year where there was a bunch of people who registered, and it's been kind of dwindling since then a little bit. We've people seen. realize that ain't so fun looking. It's just uh, to get huh. constantly berated, I was bashed, say, and <laughs> just th- just think the decisions that you make just get hammered on. Very rarely does someone turn around and say that was a really good decision. Yeah. Instead, we get negativity. But congratulations uh, if if you're interested in becoming a board candidate please by all means submit if, if you think even if i mean just just try yeah i, I mean you're it's like the lottery right you're definitely not winning if you don't buy a ticket well you're definitely not getting on a board position if you're not submitting your name now you may or may not win or you may or may not put in a, all the effort required but you're definitely not just getting called up and saying hey um you know, we're putting you on the board whether you like it or not. So if you're one of those big talkers online, you think you know everything, you've got all the you've answers. got all the fixes and all the answers, which I know plenty of you do, then by all means put your name on the ballot, get yourself uh, a platform statement. I don't know. I mean I don't want to just say put up or shut up, but uh and not everybody's cut out to be a board member. That's very obvious. But we've seen a lot of people who thought they were who were not. We definitely have seen plenty of that. And uh, it just feels like it gives you an opportunity to uh, go out and, um, yeah, maybe be part of that. Also, state coordinators. Every year, half of the state coordinators are re are, are up for election. They are up for election as well. And that could be even maybe at a more regional or local level, you know, could be your in in terms of seeing what goes on and some of the efforts that take place. I myself, I think I held the state coordinator position for, I don't know if it was 18 or 17, 18, yeah, 20 it was, years, it was whatever. It was a long time. Um, and some of the years were much more difficult than others. But now that we've got as many tournaments as we do, it has become a much more laborious task and, uh, but still impactful. So 
if that's something that you're into, maybe, uh, yeah, be, become a state coordinator. That that would be a good option as well. So, And I know there's a lot of people that talk really big about having all the answers that think they're super smart. I'm sitting right here. Dude. Yep. It's yep. awkward. <laughs> yeah. Well, then put your name uh, <laughs> on a ballot and go out and uh, try and become, uh, you know, that, that person, that go-to, that resource. All right, Johnny, I sent you a link. I don't know if we can. Well, I'm sure we can show it, and I know they won't complain or be frustrated if we do so. Um, something that's been going around that you may have seen, we're certainly helping make a push for it. And you've seen Bill Nye, the science guy, has gotten involved. And that is the disc golf document- documentary, History in the Making. And Dennis Worson, who has put together, he many years ago i'd use flatball and we put that together he put that documentary together wow i'm really having troubles with my words now he put that together it was amazing talked so much about uh the history of ultimate well now for a few years he's been gathering footage and content to put it together for disc golf and obviously with covid and what we've seen happen over the last couple of years the massive influx of competitors players tournaments all those things uh, i i think even his documentary has taken a slightly different turn so it's a out there it's an indiegogo fund right now and i want to say that yeah it says right here there's three days left and we are helping support that can we can we go ahead and play the uh I would love to play. I think it's three minutes, and I think it's pretty darn good. Uh, I'm playing. I'm playing the preview so people can see it, but uh, it would be a little bit more difficult for them to for us to play it so they can hear it as well. All right. Well, that's too bad. Okay. Well, go out and find it. Hey, actually, I'm going to link to it this very second within the. There we go. Don't go watch it yet. You you, you got to listen to everything Johnny says. But after that, um, mm. click on that link and go out and if you can support it. Dennis, I think, has won some awards. Very, very talented. In fact, I had a great conversation with him a year ago at the OTB Open. He was out there gaining yet more content for it. Super excited. He's talked about talked to just about everyone you can think of. Uh, and this is going way back in the history books and talking to so many of the movers, the shakers, uh, designers, you know, whatever. A lot of the early pioneers of our sport. So I'm really looking forward to this uh, documentary coming out. So let's let's get out there. Let's support it. Let's do it. And it's got Bill Nye, the science guy who has who played ultimate. That's pretty cool. Certainly did. Wait, I, th- I don't think some people like science. I just remembered that. Mm. Science is real. I got, I did, I've got a T-shirt that says so. I did talk to in a very lengthy <laughs> customer service call. Oh, I talked geez. to. I believe her name was Jennifer, and she she was Bill Nye was her sixth iteration cousin away, or something of that nature. Somehow she was related to him. We we had a much longer, weirder conversation. <laughs> I, I was trying to get my dishwasher, I think, fixed, but somehow we were talking about Bill. Nye somehow you're talking about guy. Bill Nye, the science guy. <laughs> Let's just say I've had some weird phone calls in my day. Y- your life, Terry. <laughs> your life. I don't. <laughs> Don't know. Uh, all right. Do we have anything else within the regular show that needs to get discussed, Johnny? 
I, I feel like that was such great insight, too. It, it's great insight, Terry. Everything you say is great insight. <laughs> no, not from me, from Sean. Uh, oh, from Sean. Although, although, I'm going to take a little credit here. I see the things that Sean posts often with regard to tournament directing and and a lot of his philosophies. They are eerily similar to what I think a lot. In fact, we've taken our conversation offline what or in a in a in a uh sidebar to have conversations and it's kind of eerie how often we align on a lot of things so <laughs> i'm not saying that's a good thing for him but uh we, sorry, we find Sean. ourselves aligning quite often uh, i think he's uh, a phenomenal guy and it's like it's like it's probably how Sean Jack feels when I call him. Yes. <laughs> like yeah. like this is going to be something. It could turn into something, but more than likely not, and it's going to be two hours. Yeah. <laughs> All right. I think we're going to close out the regular show. I think that's been a pretty solid. I don't have anything else for you guys. No, we got after show stuff to talk about. I'm sure. Oh, sure. We do. All right, guys, we are going to close it out. Uh, I I will reiterate. I just saw actually a post a moment ago by the Lazat family uh, as well. I know it had kind of circled around Reddit and other places, but uh, we love you, Simon. We love the entire family and uh, sorry to hear of your uncle uh, passing, uncle Peter passing, but um, yeah. Well, as as he had just said, I think in that post, something to be said about uh, him seeing the performance that he had just this last weekend, and and that's certainly something that he can take with him. So, thank you guys for joining us. It's been a little bit of a all over place, but we got we got it all taken care of tonight. Uh, this has been podcast four hundred and four. <laughs> with some various lighting uh, <laughs> <laughs> we'll, we'll we'll try to nail i'll try to nail down the lighting some point this week we'll see so we're not the problem is terry and i are very white like white yeah well there's we, we've yeah. got our we've got our own problems yeah. but then everybody claims that i'm way too red some days there are times you are <laughs> for johnny v and myself we've got a big uh big thank you again Sean Mercy for jumping on uh, unprompted, unannounced, unknown uh, to him. But thank you for joining uh, and giving us the insight about the OTB Open. Thank you again to all of my competitors and the incredible staff and crew that put together this last weekend's Skyline Classic. Thank you guys so much. I couldn't have done it without you. We're going to log off. We're going to take a quick couple minute break, show you some credits. We'll see you in a few minutes when you step inside the Smashbox for the after show. Thank you to our $2 and above patrons. Your name is listed below in the credits. If you are interested in being listed as a producer in the Smashbox TV credits and supporting this and other fine podcasts, please visit patreon.com slash smashboxtv.